Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Stay tuned with the two two O's. See? How's that? Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From a coal cellar deep in the underground video facilities of Area 51, welcome to Milestone Talkcast 350. Oh my God. And this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight with a chance of no illness tomorrow ever again. Sorry, I'm the dome. Joining the Talkcast tonight... The rest of the gang in the Peabody Time Tunnel, our technical radical. It's our own button-pushing, keyboard-clacking, sonic screwdrivering, sometimes violent virtuoso. Tonight, with her pets, it's Kriana. Uh, okay. From the stacks of her quiet place in the Dank Dungeon's private erudite conservancy, colleague to cyborgs, dining with the lycanthropically privileged, and is rumored to have a secret quilting guild among whose members might possibly include a well-known action star from the 50s, read Buster Crab. Welcome, Zombrarian. I don't know when I started quilting. Well, I think it was in the 50s when you met Buster Crab. That's true. So a guy walks into a Carvel ice cream drive-in and says, I'd like the Zen undersea surprise. The attendant turns to the back of the room and goes, one fudge of the whale with everything. And at that point, you know it's either Tom Carvel himself or our very own futurist and gamer, the guy who likes shiny stuff, Awake by Java. <sighs> you know, okay, I would totally stream what I'm doing right now on the Switch, but it's <laughs> oh, no. super, super boring. What are we doing super tonight? Boring. Here's the thing. Okay. On, on Zelda, on the Breath yeah. of the Wild, you can get special equipment from Amiibos. I think it's actually the plural of amiibo is amiibo. But um, if you scan the amiibo, you can get special equipment. Okay. But the, the, the exclusive equipment is a super rare drop. So you basically have to farm it. And I'm trying to get the sword that is called sword. So I'm just sitting here and, and scanning, scanning the amiibo. Yeah. And then and then the, the, the chest drops. Okay. And I get arrows. And I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. Load, last save point, do it again. Maybe <laughs> I've maybe been doing this with this eight bit link amiibo for maybe a hundred times so far today. So when are you giving trying to get this stupid piece of equipment? This is dumb. You're not giving up. Dumb. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that makes me not like this feature on the game. I will sit here. I will absolutely sit here and scan this stupid amiibo toy 100, 150, 200, 300 times to get this sword. So oh, just Lord. let me get the sword. Give me an oh, alternate Lord. thing that lets me get the sword. Because this is dumb. This is grinding, and it's stupid. And yet, there you sit, doing it over and over again. Because why wouldn't I want the sword that's named Sword from the original 8-bit Legend of Zelda? Of course I want that sword. And therefore... It's called Sword. It's not Sword of the Six Sages. It's not the Scimitar of the Dunes. It's Sword. That's amazing. Because all you need is a sword. Take this. It's dangerous to go alone. You know, it, it's kind of hard to deal with that level of logic or, or something. 
Exactly. <laughs> One of the greatest lines of video game storytelling ever written. Take this. It's dangerous to go alone. Your companion in your journey in this legend is the sword. It's not called anything special. It's just a sword. It's not the sword. It's just sword. Sword. Gotcha. You get the master sword later. The master right. sword has a rich and illustrious history. But However, everybody has to be someplace, and you start with sword. sword. Gotcha. Exactly. You know, uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, about, I guess, close to 10 years ago, we were at our second Boston Comic Con, and we were set up against the back wall in this really weird place. Uh, it was on the waterfront. It was one of those waterfront hotels, and it wasn't like one of the big ones. So the line went around the building and stuff. And, and next to us was a guy dressed up as the devil and a lady with a baby and an artist who sat there and giggled the entire time. Little did I know then that that was the beginning of a wonderful friendship be between Sci-Fi Saturday Night and, and our guest tonight, George O'Connor, who at that time was hawking his wonderful video series, 664, uh, Neighbor of the Beast. George, welcome back, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm a four, Peter. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> you know, you could be the five-time club, just like you know they, they do on Saturday Night Live. We'll make that happen. Oh, I can't wait for the Sci-Fi Saturday Night Jacket. <laughs> Big old five on the chest. <laughs> <coughs> I, I think we're going to make that happen. I think we have to make that happen. Uh, it's now canon. So, okay. Yeah. George, no George, yes. George is here tonight because he's an incredible writer, an incredible director, an all-around neat guy, and uh, one of the loudest musicians I know. Ah. <laughs> Fair. Fair. And it just had an incredibly cool thing happen when he took one of his really wonderful graphic novels, Healed, and turned it into a short film. Let's talk about how that process, because Healed began right about that time that 664 was kind of wrapping up and you and Griffin were, were putting that together. Yeah, um, when we met, it, you're you're kind of right. There was that dovetail of the second season of Six Six Four was done, and so we were at that Boston Comic Con with uh, both DVD sets of Six Six Four, and Griffin and I had just come out with the first issue of Healed. So um, it was kind of our first, I don't know, proving grounds for for the book and to see if anybody else found the concept as interesting as we did. And as I recall, it sold very well at that convention. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's a self-confidence or humble thing. I have always said we sold enough to keep making them. You know? <laughs> uh, and who, whether that was 50 or 5, it was enough for us to leave that weekend feeling confident enough that it was an idea worth pursuing, worth putting our time, money, and effort into because people seem to dig it. And eventually, at, at every succeeding convention after that, you and Griffin would, would come up with yet another uh, issue and another issue, uh, of which I, I'm so pleased to have, I think, the entire set. Almost uh, like it was a serialized sort of story told through both both illustration and text. I wonder what you would call such a thing. We would call those the sequential arts. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so um, so healed um, is you know what would happen tomorrow if all life-threatening disease and illness went away today. Uh, we ended up doing five issues of it. Uh, and like you said, um, that was over, I think, a two-and-a-half-year process um you know our the way of us getting the books out was at conventions so right. 
there wasn't a need to produce it on a monthly basis. And also with my life and, and Griffin's life, uh, we would have been, you know, just throwing our lives completely out of whack. So basically for the spring cons, we would have an issue. And for the fall cons, we would have an issue. And so, like I said, about two and a half years, five issues. And then when we wrapped it up, we zipped it all up into its current graphic novel form. And then somewhere along the way, somebody said, hey, you know, this would make a good movie. Yeah, that was me. Because I, <laughs> yeah, I always think that. Like every, like five sentence premise that comes into my head is like I'd make a good movie um, but you know so that's before I got into comics um, like we've already talked about there's the digital series 664 Neighbor of the Beast it was two seasons 34 episodes total um, that I directed wrote edited uh, I think 30 out of the 34 episodes um so you did all was, the casting. You gave up your house. I mean, you used your house as yeah. one of the yeah the whole thing, man. It was oh yeah, that was that was you. the The house was eighty percent of our locations. Um, because <laughs> you worked with both children and animals in that series. Yes, yes. With a because you know if you're gonna go for it, you might as well just torture yourself and go all the way with it. And um, you did. <laughs> yeah. Um. But. And, and before that, I had done a ton of short films, both on my own and then with this great company called Midnight Chimes Productions. Um, and we produced a lot of stuff over about a 10-year period. Um, but one of the rules of the road for short film is don't write what you can't shoot. So, you know, if you don't have access to a pirate ship, don't write a pirate ship epic movie. Um, cause you're just, you're just spinning your wheels at that point. If you're, if you actually want to get something made, you're, gonna, so, you're just going to piss yourself off more than anything else. Pretty much. You know, you're going to have this thing that you could fall in love with, but there's no way that you could actually shoot it in a way that mirrors what you have in your head. So that's why, like you said, 80% of 664 was my house because I owned it and we could shoot here. Um, after the, Wrapping up 664, I mean, I was burnt out from lovingly hurting the cats for two years. Um, and around that time, I'd gone to New York Comic Con and I was there with Griffin. And I was there just as, you know, a fan. And I sat in, I will always remember this, the only how not to break into comics panel. And <laughs> as they were as they were talking about it, a light just started to go off in my head that comics could be a vehicle to get so many of these stories out where, you know, if you can just, if, if you can just, that is, well, that's a loaded phrase. If you can find an artist um, to, to partner up with basically anything either of you can imagine can be seen. Um, and so that was really appealing. Um, the idea of being able to do things outside of your house was great. Um, but there was still the collaboration part. And that's really what, as I keep getting, as I keep doing more and more projects, that's the part that I keep falling in love with is the collaboration. It's surrounding yourself with talented people and, you know, working towards a common goal and somebody throws out an idea and somebody else gets excited and you build up that idea into like this frantic, you know, game of, of catch between everybody. I mean that until, you know, the day I die, that will be my favorite part of any making process is the collaboration. Uh, and with comics, it, that collaboration group shrinks, right? It's an artist, it's a colorist, maybe it's a letterer, letterer, Maybe it's an editor. So that and that coming off of a shoot with many actors and many crew people and trying to coordinate all those schedules, um, shrinking it down to one to three additional people was extremely enticing. And so uh, 
that light bulb went on. And like I do, because there's part of me that will always be 12 years old. I got really, really excited, really, really fast. And started that's maybe the best part of you. I mean, because <laughs> I've seen that happen with you, like maybe a dozen times. We'll be sitting and talking at a convention, and, and all of a sudden, I see your mind going, and you go, well, that would be cool. And then we could do this, and then it would look great. And then it's, yeah. that, that's yeah, it, the, it, the most wonderful part of George right there. <laughs> I'm so glad you think that, because sometimes it's the most annoying part of being me. Oh, hell is, no. <laughs> is, is, you know, needing nine clones and 48-hour days to try and do all the things I would love to do and do them with the people that I would love to do them with. Um, so, like I said, luckily Griffin was there with me and we started just kind of spitballing ideas of, well, what could we do? And we kind of came up with Healed. And the, the quick backstory on that is this is when... Walking Dead had just been announced that it was going to be a series. And so the whole zombie thing, that's when it spiked hard. And so you're getting every flavor of zombie you could imagine. And so we just kind of sat there and said, all right, well, if zombies are hot, what's the opposite of zombies? And, you know, in the zombie world, <laughs> everybody's dying. Well, how about a world where nobody's dying? And we both kind of went, cool thought for three seconds and went, oh, that'd be horrible. Um, and there were a couple other, you know, kind of like top line ideas that we came up with in a really kind of short amount of burst. Um, but healed, or, you know, the idea that became healed is the one that we kept going back to because we saw a lot of storytelling opportunity in that. Um, and so I went away kind of thinking about this and, tried to get it off the ground but i couldn't find anybody reliable um and i knew griffin drew but he hadn't done sequentials um but he was there when we kind of came up with the idea and so i just said would you be up would you be game for trying this and he was uh and so that was wait that, that's almost a dare for griffin though isn't it a little bit i mean how many times bit. how many times have you had a new idea and Griffin, will go, oh, I can do that. Oh yeah, a ton. <laughs> and I mean, and that's kind of why we both trusted each other is that we had done projects in the past. Um, I I have a band called Viper Rash, and Griffin uh, illustrated the cover to our first album. You know, so we had we had done creative projects together, short little bursts, but enough to go, okay, he knows how to get a, the job done. Right. We could say that about each other. So that was kind of our, our dating right there. And then, you know, then Heald comes up and I basically ask him to marry me for two and a half years. Um, Normally and, that would sound weird, but I understand completely what you meant. Right. Normally it would sound <laughs> weird. Not in comics. Nope, yeah. not at all. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's, that's what we did. And so all, all this time, you know, my head is always thinking i mean i think visually and kind of cinematically anyways that's just kind of my default so i couldn't help but think of these stories in kind of a in a in a serialized cinematic sense um now the so it was always in the back of my mind um and a couple things happened that kind of pushed us over the edge Creatively, for me, it was watching The Leftovers on HBO. Um, I think tonality, Leftovers and Healed are cousins. So to see a show that I felt like had the same tone as Healed on the air kind of gave me hope that maybe the idea of Healed on a screen isn't the craziest idea out there. Um the next one was seeing the explosion of stuff on Netflix and then watching Hulu and Amazon quickly try to catch up to, to create this new content. And, you know, in, in all of these stuff, I mean, you can experiment. I mean, uh, the OA, I mean, is a great example of that show would never have gotten made five years ago, you know, but because yeah. of, but because of all of these 
different platforms and the way stuff's consumed, you can do something. I mean, as as off the wall as that, or Legion wouldn't have been a show five years ago. Legion um, wouldn't have been a show two years ago. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but now we're at this place where if it's a good story and it's a little off the beaten path, there is a home for it. Um, and the third factor in all of this is the secret weapon in getting healed made, which is our friend and executive producer, Diana Porter. So we have been friends for years and she was one of the first and biggest and loudest supporters of healed over the years. She's been kicking ass and taking names, um, building her acting career. So on one side, Griffin and I are building the healed stories. On the other side, Diana is, you know, getting inside the Boston and New York acting and production scene. And she is gathering a fantastic group of talented filmmakers. And so these things are just staring at each other. And I Baltimore Comic Con about three years ago. Uh, we were talking about it again, and there was a pause in the conversation. I looked at Diana and said, we either have to make this or we need to shut up and stop talking about this, don't we? And she said <laughs> yes. And so that was that was it. It was the merger of the idea and with with this hard work, blood, sweat, and tears that Diana had put in, and you bring them together, and you've got this story that is able to be told in a new media thanks to some incredibly talented people both in front and behind the scenes and that's kind of the origin story of of our short film uh so what we ended up doing say that again you broke up a little bit oh i'm sorry pause this is a graphic novel this is a sequential of five different comic books and it's a long form story you turned, you took it and made a five minute film. Why? Um, we wanted to do a taste of the book. We wanted to to introduce the tone of the book, um, but we also wanted to be able to know we could get it made. So by doing a short film, we were committing ourselves to a one day shoot. We were committing ourselves to a finite group of actors who we were asking for one day of their time. Um, So it felt doable. It felt doable where we could actually put a budget against it to make it as good as we could make it um, with a budget that didn't put any of us, you know, in debt. Okay, so now you've got Diana Porter, you got Griffin, you got you, executive producers. Diana's doing the casting. Yep. But in a short five-minute film, you have one character who needs to be perfect. And how do you find Arthur Laurie to do that? Oh, um, dude, you you describing him like that just threw goosebumps all up and down my arm because... He is damn perfect. Um, I am lucky enough to have known Arthur for uh, at least 10 years at this point, maybe longer. Um, he is incredibly talented. He is he's smart. He is game for any... He Again, he's one of those guys, I'm so lucky that I've collected a group of talented people who I say, come play with this goofy creative idea, and they all kind of go, okay. And... You know, Arthur being one of them. Um, he was one of our co-leads in 664. Um, he was, and he had, had starred in a bunch of the short films that came before 664. Um, and, you know, when we finished that first issue seven years ago, there was, I, I kind of looked at it and I said, someday Arthur's going to play the father in this story. Um, and seven years after writing it and thinking that I got to call him and say, we're actually doing it and you're going to be the lead. 
the planning to put together that weekend is enormous because you know you only have that weekend to get everything you need to get to put this film together. Yep. And yeah. then you then you go into post with it. You do all the things that you need to do. And all of a sudden, you've got a film that's being courted by the Massachusetts Independent Film Festival yep. and the Shaunashay Memorial Film Festival. How did, how did that stuff come about? Um, uh, again, that's the right arm. That's Diana. That is the, the, you know, being able to ride her coattails and her hard work. Um, you know, she has made a lot of good films. She has, she has earned the trust and respect of a lot of people in this industry. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we are able, we're able to pull off a film that looks pro feels pro. Um, I mean, I'm over the moon, still incredibly proud, proud of the final product. And so, you know, it, she's, she's able to bring it to these people and because of her reputation and because of hard work, like our cinematographer and editor, uh, Michael Whistler, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it got people's attention and we were able to show it, show it in these different festivals. And it's been, it was a blast to listen to people who knew nothing about it, who weren't there to support us. Right. I mean, they were about as neutral an audience as you can get as true an audience reception that you can get. And it was a blast in all of those to kind of just sit there. And it, it was kind of like putting the comic out all over again. Just, you know, sitting there going, I wonder if people will get it. The response was overwhelming at both festivals. I, I'm, I'm very happy with how it went over. Oh, wow. I, you know, I, I will let other people throw uh, adjectives on top of it. I'm, I'm just... going with overwhelming. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think my favorite... I. I can't remember. Am I allowed to swear? Not swear? Sure, absolutely. Excellent. Go ahead. Because, because my favorite reaction is when we hit the crescendo of our film, You, this person back to my left just went, oh, shit. And, you know, as, as honest and true a reaction as you could hope for. And so it's, like I said, it's been, it's been fun to kind of go out there and kind of have to prove this concept and story all over again. Um, you know, another thing that will always be 12 years old in me is a competitive streak. And I keep it in check most of the time. But, you know, when you're sitting in an audience, you've put time and effort, you've tr people have trusted you with their time and effort. And you sit there with a confidence and a hope that I, you know, that this is going to go over that, that everything people have put into it is going to come out is going to be rewarded and so it is it is awesome when the screenings go you know you sit there with your fingers crossed and they go the way you hoped and envisioned they would so there are yeah there are hundreds of film festivals across the united states in a year people people would be amazed if they knew how many there were yeah. There, there are many that you hear a lot about, like Sundance and Tribeca. Uh, there are a lot of other ones that are very, very influential. One of my personal favorites, because of who it's named for and where it goes, is the Philip K. Dick Annual Science Fiction Film Festival, which is in its fifth, uh, fifth year Yes. this year. So, and, and last year, when you were on the show... You kind of obliquely referenced it very quickly, and this, but I can't talk about that now. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, stuff I just can't talk about right now. Yeah, and yeah. there's some stuff that Diana keeps a very uh, short leash on me because if it was up to me, I would just like word vomit everything. But that's not the way you're supposed to do some things. So I listen to the professional, and I keep my mouth shut. This year, the 5th Annual Phil K. Dick Science Fiction Film Festival runs May 25th through 30th in various venues in New York City. On uh, Monday, 
Is it Monday? Yep, Monday, May 29th. Monday, May 29th, Block 3, which is referred to as Our Technical Future Friend or Foe, leads off with Healed, directed by George O'Connor. Yeah. I'm... I'm so psyched about this. Like you had said, um, I mean, our little science fiction geek nerd world would not be what it is without Philip K. Dick. I mean, I think at this point to try and pull the threads of his influence would be futile. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. it's, it's, It's so much of what he's done is breathing now. That you know, you wouldn't know where it begins or ends, but I mean, it's such a massive, massive influence. Um, and so I was doing a search for film festivals, you know, um, and I came across Phil K. Dick, and you know, so that the name makes me stop, but then the description of the film festival, you know, phrases like out of the box films, right. you know, films a little off center. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, Heald has found his home. You know, um, like you said, you know, and not to take anything away from any other film festival that has given us a screening. I mean, I am I am grateful for the opportunity to show this and and show the hard work off any day of the week, any place, any time. But, you know, with Philip K. Dick, like I said, everything that 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 name exudes, right, that that's that it's influenced. And when they and when they basically say, hey, we're looking for weird films. And you kind of wave your hand and go, hello. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, do I have a weird film for you? You Yeah. So how did it feel to, you know put this film up for consideration for them knowing that you know one out of maybe 20 films even though this runs for six days and they have tons of short films in it for every film that gets in there there's maybe 10 that or 15 or 20 that don't yeah and you 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 brought your baby to the to the fireplace and said here check it out what do you think how'd that how'd that go for you um it felt great. Um, vindicated probably sounds like more aggressive than it needs to be. Uh, but maybe like when I, at this point, you know, I've made so much stuff ever since my first, you know, garage band decided to make a demo, a really crappy demo tape. (laughs) Um, you know, if you, if you, if you keep doing this for as long as, I have as long as, you know, somebody who's done it in a long time, like you have to build up armor and you kind of have to build up the psychological, I don't know, cushions. So yeah. you can, so you can keep moving forward when things don't work out. Um, Mind pillows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, I think I just found the new name for my uh, post rock band. There you go. Um, so, so, you know, I've submitted this film to a bunch of places and a bunch of places I would love for it to get in. Some have got in, some haven't. But then you come across this festival and it's, it's like I said, it's like, it, it feels like home. It feels like I built, I made, without knowing I was making this movie for this festival, I made this movie for this festival. Um, and so the, the, the irrational confidence of hitting send and submit and sitting there going, no, I should get into this one, which I just never do again. It's, it's the mind pillows. Um, and then there is the waiting. And during the waiting portion, you just try and forget it. You don't, I mean, it's a big lie, you know, but, uh, and then, you know, and then the word comes back that you're in and it, 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 you know, it, it satisfies that trust of like, okay, I, I do know my film and I do know where it belongs. Um, and then there's just kind of the bit of like, look at this company I'm in. 
look at this umbrella I get to stand under. Look at the look look at all this other stuff I get to, I get to be peers with. And I mean, you there's so many body blows and head blows that go into creating anything that every now and then it's winds like this, you know, can keep you afloat for a long time. Um, so on so many different levels, um, you know, as, as the fanboy, I got a film in the Philip K Dick film festival. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, as the producer of this, I get to turn back to everybody that gave me their time and effort and go and, and get to say, your work is going to be seen here. You know, it's not just sitting dusty in my basement, dusty on, you know, an external hard drive. You know, your work is going to be seen. Um, and that's, that's just important as, as you know, the, the money anybody walk away with over the weekend is hopefully the chance to get the next job because of this. Um, so it's, it's, I guess it's just pride, you know, it's, it's watching your kid, you know, succeed at something, anything. You know, watching um, your kid at a recital going, wow, it <laughs> wasn't a cacophony. It actually sounded right. good. Right. Or you know what it is? It's 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 thinking your kid is talented. And then Bloody watching the and then see and well, not see it, but the rest of the world go. Yeah, he is kind of talented. Yep. Right. It's it's yep. it's it's the because the blinders are gone at this point. You know. Um, and so it's, again, that's a nice little confidence booster. It's a nice little fact that I get to hold on to. It's, George, you know, George, it ain't so little. <laughs> it's, it, it's a pretty goddamn big one. Yeah. And so it's, it's, like I said, it's very cool on a lot of levels. And I think like one of the main le levels is the little geek in me that is so excited that this Laurel from the film festival is one of the ones I get to put healed under. So well, while this is going on, because now healed has been in the can for about a year now. Yes. Uh, so what's next? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, at some point, you know, it's got to come off the festival circuit. Um, and there's part of me that's really looking forward to that day because then I just get to, you know, unprivatize the YouTube link and let the entire world, you know, see, see this, see everybody's hard work, see everybody's talent up there. And, you know, I, at that point I get to scream it from the rooftops and I've been wanting to do that since we wrapped, you know, a year and a half ago. Are we uh, going to get to see the whole comic? Are we going to get to see the whole story at some point? All right. I will. I'm going to start this next monologue. No spoilers! No spoilers! I'm going to start this next monologue so long as everybody understands that I understand how hard this is going to be. Okay? Okay, go for it. Um, the... Taking Healed from comic book to screen one of the hurdles is that Healed was kind of written in a pseudo-anthology uh, way, right? Each story, each issue was three different stories, and we bounced around this world to study how different people, different places, different, um, uh, different things would react to all of a sudden waking up and there are no more diseases or illnesses. Right. We did big things from pharmaceutical industries. We did small things to grandma's waking up and suddenly being cured of Alzheimer's. And, oh, my God, what does that mean for her and her family? That doesn't translate to traditional storytelling. So that what the challenge has been that I've been diving into and I've actually had a lot of fun with is okay, if I were to take Healed and it needs to be kind of more of a linear storytelling, how do I take these five issues of a comic book and kind of maneuver the pieces and rearrange it? So 
so I am in the middle of writing a pilot script that for for Healed. That there we go. That and I God, it feels so weird to say that out loud. I don't know. Um, like I I try and stay very grounded, and that doesn't sound like a grounded statement. Um, and I think the more I try and say I'm grounded, it'll you know doth protest too much. So we're just gonna move on. Um, what's been fun is to take all of these stories and all of these different characters and go, well, what if you know what if person A and person B are siblings? Right. And so if we make that little bridge and we take these two different stories, well, if we slam these two stories together, how does that influence each other? How does, you know, just, you know, how does that shake up our story? And that has been endlessly fascinating and rewarding to dive back into kind of the mythos and the stories that we've built and throw them up in the air and rearrange them. Um, so you were talking about, um, you know, all of these film festivals that are out there. And one of the offshoots of submitting healed and doing the research is I was unaware of how many of these festivals have pilot screening, you know, categories. So seeing that kind of made it feel like I wasn't just spinning my, wheels for you know an egotistical masturbation session like you know if if we write this there's actually a a way to get it out and get it seen and again see if anybody else is digging what we're digging so um i found uh an editor i've working with a lot beth scorzato um she has been helping me beat this pilot script into uh, into great shape. Uh, I think we're probably on version three or four of it right now, and hopefully, sooner rather than later, we'll finish it up. We'll you know we'll stamp it as you know done, and then we'll start throwing that out into the world, and you know see what happens. Knowing fully well what we need is a fucking miracle of the right guy on the right day you know, with the right sensibility and we come across right at the right time. Yeah. You know, and if you count the number of rights in there, you can see how that window shrinks, but you know, what, what the hell else are you going to do? I was going to you know, say, you know, it's, it's one thing if you do that with a bad idea, <laughs> and Lord knows we've seen those, we see them all the time. We just got to go, Oh no, no bad idea. Uh, I, I, I get great. Um, I don't know, faith when something really terrible and like you can see has had a lot of money put into it. It's like, all right, if that got made, exactly, maybe, maybe the idea of a 10 episode healed series on Netflix, maybe that's not so crazy. Maybe it isn't. But the reality is, you know, you started off uh, with an idea. And you've taken the idea to an incredibly cool short film that people are really responding to. Uh, everybody, people who have seen it, just kind of, yeah, oh shit. <laughs> that, that's the response. So, you know, um, in, in the 10 years that uh, we've known each other, You've, you've produced a web series. You've produced more than one series of comic books. Uh, there's also Baby. There, there's, uh, it, you, you, you write, you direct. Uh, nicely done, sir. <laughs> Thank you, man. Can I tell you? Uh, this, it's been fun watching this ride you've been on for the past 10 years. And, and Healed uh, as a short film leaves you wanting the whole story or at least more of the story. So, um, you know, just as much as we all wanted six, six, four season three, and we <laughs> still do just say it, you know, we're, we're, uh, 
I can't wait. Are, are you going to be in New York for that? We are working out the particulars at the moment. <laughs> so that's I, re- I really, I, re- I really want to be there. We've got to get some stars to align. Gotcha. I yeah. wish I had a sexier, uh, I don't know, more triumphant answer, but that's, that's life being lifey right there. Life is life is what it is. And, and there we go. So guys, if you're in New York city, uh, May 25th through 30th, and you want to see some some great science fiction stuff, uh, the Philip K. Dick uh, Fifth Annual Science Fiction Film Festival uh, runs from Thursday, May 25th to Tuesday, May 30th. That's a weird stretch, but whatever. And <laughs> I, think it sh- I think it shows how much it's grown. Yeah, that it can it can take six days and fill up those six days with you know some fantastic films. Yeah, I mean, there there are no dead spots for those six days. Not that I saw. <laughs> yeah, not that I saw. And and you will see that on, on that uh, on that Monday, Healed starts a session, a three o'clock session. Two o'clock. Uh, two o'clock. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't want to show up an hour late for it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah. And if anybody wants to check it out, um, and see, you know, not only about our screening on that Monday, the 29th, but everything that's being screened. Uh, you can head to the Philip K Dick film festival.com. And there you can see all of the screenings, all of the programs, all of the dates, times, get your tickets as well. Um, and then if anybody wants to check out healed, uh, like we've been saying, it's going to be Monday, May 29th. It is at the producers club at the courthouse theater. Which for you, for anybody not familiar with New York, is 358 West 44th Street in New York. It's amazing how you know all this stuff, isn't it? It is amazing what technology can bring you. And then, like we said, we are leading off block three of that day, 2 to 2.30. And again, that 12-year-old competitive streak loves the idea that we are going to lead this off. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I was I was really, really kind of excited about our placement as well. You know, I mean, that's just the 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 uh, frosting on top of the cake. George, when we were sitting in that hotel uh, uh, ballroom, and a guy dressed up as the devil stole a lady's baby, who was also part of the cast. And went walking away with it as she's screaming, he's got my baby. The devil has my baby. I knew something weird was happening. <laughs> not, I, just, <laughs> not just any baby, my baby. Exactly. <laughs> and I knew right then this was a guy who I needed to be friends with. And I, <laughs> it was the start of a, a great friendship. Thanks for coming on the show, man. It's, it's really wonderful having you on again. Uh, and I can't thank you guys enough. Like you said, that that was kind of like an instant bonding that you know we we got each other. We got what yeah you know, we were each trying to do in our respective media and and uh, you know your friendship and support over these ten years is something that I always go back to. You know, again, we're talking about buoys that keep us afloat when everything feels crappy. I mean, you and this unending support has been something something I have latched onto for dear life many times over the years. So, you <laughs> know, like you I so said, much. four four times is is amazing, um, and I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you let just letting me fucking babble one more time. Hey, and pretty soon you're going to be part of the Five Timers Club. And- Get to the jacket, you're all set. Oh, the satin jacket. I can't wait. George, thanks so much, man. Kriana. Time for the news. Yes. And, and somehow, the interview section went really long tonight. I don't know weird. why. Weird. So know. weird. I know. Hey, I just want to give everybody an update. I totally got sword. <laughs> and you know, you know when it happened? It was when George started talking about writing a pilot. 
Coincidence? I think not. I think there's a lot of luck there. I think so. So what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about some, a uh, little bit about American Gods? Oh, I, I finally, well, actually, you know what? I'm caught up on, on Doctor Who and American Gods. I am not caught up on Handmaid's Tale. I'm not caught well, up. How far along are you on that? Uh, I think we're about three episodes in. It's hard to watch, man. It's hard it to is, watch. Wait, I have a very a very important question because I don't have Hulu. And uh-huh. I'm waiting for the exact right time to use my month-long free trial. <laughs> Did they release the whole thing at once or are they re- releasing a new episode every week? Uh-huh. It's it's Wednesdays, I think. For okay. So yeah, you've got a few more weeks. I think it's a I think it's a twelve part series. I'm not sure about that. You don't quote me on that, but um, okay. Not that I'm gaming the system to watch a Handmaid's Tale or anything. Oh, you should totally game the system. I just realized today that I, I have another month of HBO. Congratulations! I forgot because I forgot to to cancel that. <laughs> hey, uh, congratulations to you. <clears throat> So one more month of, of HBO, which I don't think that uh, Game of Thrones starts until next month. So at that point, you might as well keep it. Well, oh well, yeah. I have nothing to watch on there. I don't want to watch anything on HBO right now. I, but I am really enjoying watching American Gods, and I'll tell you why. Please tell us why, and then I can tell you why I totally agree with you. <laughs> um, the thing, the thing that I, I find so fascinating about American Gods as a as a story in general is that, like in many of Neil Gaiman's works, there's no explanation. There's just this world, and I mean, if you read Neverwhere or if you you know read. Uh, Anansi Boys, or whatever it... it well, Anansi it, Boys is part of the American Gods. Universe. Right. But there's no explanation. There's no, like, here's the first chapter where everything gets explained to you so that you can understand. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. Because I feel like I'm being put into a world where I am, I am just as clueless as Shadow Moon is. And I have that same experience watching the show again, even though I know all of the things. Well, it's it's kind of like you you have some responsibility as the reader slash viewer to uh, make the connections as they come out, because you know it's not spoon feeding anything to you, and in a lot of respects, it's exactly like the book. And all my favorite little side bits are still there. And maybe they're not quite as nuanced as they were. But, ah, they're there and it makes me so happy. You know, in in episode one, uh, the coin flip at the grave. And I just kind of went, yeah. Yeah, and in the the latest episode, you know, that all starts to get uh, Mm -hmm. dealt with. And and, uh, Sweeney gets, gets, like, involved. Oh, it's... Okay, I, I have one thing that I need to say about this, just just that I will not say anything else ever again about American Gods. Okay, here we go. <laughs> okay, done. Okay, right. We know you're not a fan, and frankly, you know, I'm I'm not. I haven't read much, if any, of Gaiman's other stuff, but I did read this book, and and uh, I had real issues with it and problems with it in in getting through it, but ultimately found it enjoyable and hoped that uh wait can i do it again no no, no you're yeah! not say i was gonna anyway <laughs> i know but it's just too much fun about, <laughs> every time we talk about neil gaiman you're like i'm just gonna say this one thing and i know okay but to be fair to be fair it's really fun to do that <laughs> um the, the but I don't want to talk too much about American Gods. There's lots of stuff to talk about, actually. It really is. Uh, and the sex scene was really hot. Yeah. There now, everybody's <laughs> gonna watch it. Yep. Yeah. And, well, and and the the idea of well, 
I like a lot of those little things, those little things that just flesh out this world where, you know, the, the world of fantasy, the world of belief intersects with the world of reality. And, and that's, that's really interesting. The, the idea that belief is palpable and has influence. And I think that that's what shadow moon was like really kind of grappling with in the latest episode, um, which was great. I liked it a lot. Um, I'm also I really don't like that we know his full name in the series, though, because you never know it in the book. Right. And it actually bothers me because it gives you more of a hint as to who he is. It gives yeah. some stuff away in my opinion. And, and I, I say this to my students. We're starting our film unit here at the end of the year. And I say this to my students all the time. When you watch visual media, it you cannot expect the audience to do as much work as they do in a written work. It, it's just not going to happen. But this one is forcing you to, and I love that it is. Yeah. And also, that's one of the things. You're a genius for doing a film unit last thing, because that's the only thing they would pay attention to. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, also, um, the, oh, I completely lost it. Never mind. Sorry. Um, that is true. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying Dr. Who again, too. Um, it's amazing how much fun it is to watch Peter Capaldi without Clara. Yeah. Cause not a fan. I've been seeing stills and, um, little bits and from it. And it's making me want to go back this interaction between him and the new person. Well, I think that Bill is a wonder. Bill is uh, back to. It's terrific character. He's a terrific character is in the epitome of a companion, not a Rose, not a Martha, not a, a Clara. She, and I mean, basically none of the companions in the rebooted series, um, have been a a Doctor Who companion like in the classic <clears throat> Doctor Who sense. And Bill Except is. for the time that Sarah Jane Smith actually came back. Yes. But even then, she was far more competent than she was in the original series. Yes. And, and that makes sense. But the idea that the companion has to be equal to the Doctor is something that I think has really kind of impaired the series in general. Um, I think that the companion is a foil. And one of the things that I saw recently in an episode, not to spoil, is Bill was legitimately scared, did not want to do the thing that the doctor was making right. him do, and um, was hurt by it. And I think that that's something that the doctor used to do in the classic series that I've, that I've picked up on since watching most of it, that the Doctor in the rebooted series never really did. The Companion has never, in the rebooted series, has never really been in any kind of serious danger. And Bill actually was. And so, I, you know, I think that I think that that's really interesting. And I think it bodes well for where the series is going. Um, I also think that, you know, Stephen Moffat is s- signing off with some very real ideas of where he stands on the things that he's been doing in the series. And he's making a commentary on his own work. And I think that it's actually really interesting to see that because it's, it's, it seems that he is more aware of the things that he did to the doctor than than I thought he was. He's taken some of his own criticism to, well, no, he's taken some of the criticism of him and made it constructive. Well, I think that he was just, one of the, one of the things that I always kind of, the more classic who I watched, um, the, the more I thought these new doctors are very different in some particular ways. And, I think that they that those changes were intentional. I think that they were very carefully thought out. I do not think they were haphazard. 
I think that they were intentional. And I think that what Moffat's doing here at the end is giving us a clue that they were. And now he's allowing the next showrunner to take the doctor wherever he wants to take it. Because the commentary of this last season is the doctor doesn't have to be like the classic who doesn't have to be like the Moffat who doctor who can be anything. Yeah. And, and, and I think the, sh- the next showrunner has really, you know, a wide berth. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it's, it's, it's been a season that, while I've enjoyed a lot of it, there are certain things that I just haven't been able to wrap around. But that's okay. I mean, you know, you can't like all of it. And uh, yeah, I think it's a really, really good uh ending to this doctor's uh run i i this has been one of my all-time favorites uh if i had to if i had to choose just because of how different he's taken the approach of this doctor and it, it's been a lot of fun hey dome do you want to talk about stranger in a strange land why because they're making a television show uh, I, I wish they wouldn't, but yeah, I know, you know, you know, you know what? No, I don't want to talk about that right now. Okay. Here's, here's what I do want to talk about. We'll save that for next week when I, when I okay. can look at it a little bit more. But uh, this week we got some incredible news. About a month ago, we found out that Hellboy 3 uh, with uh, Guillermo del Toro directing it and starring Ron Perlman wasn't going to happen. And last week, uh, we learned that Mike Mignola is putting together a reboot of the series written by himself and Christopher Golden. Yeah, it's going to be something else. <laughs> it is going because, to be amazing. Because, you know, Hellboy is one of those things that it's it's kind of this titan in, in comics. And the idea that he's going to, he's going to reboot it himself is, is really exciting because he's a different, he's a different writer than he was when he did it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And And I mean, to choose Christopher Golden as his partner in putting the script together with Andrew Cosby is kind of like, holy shit, what a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, this is it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of that. And uh, I mean, heck, I'm excited. <laughs> Hellboy excited. Rise of the Blood Queen. Oh, my God. I, I I I I have been rewatching some of the old movies and some of the animated shorts. And, and wow. But to have Mignola actively involved in this is what's going to make it amazing. Well, and it's it's one of those things where, um, you, a lot of when when people go back and revisit the things that they that they became famous for, you know, that's a really interesting and vulnerable thing to do, especially when you when you're also including other people in that creation process. So, I think it's I think it's awesome. I can't wait. And the rest of the crew all turned into fish. I'm the dome. Thanks for listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. <laughs> Don't die. I hope not. Dom. Hey, Kriana. Isn't it time for the coming up calendar? Kriana, who's on the show next week? I have no idea. <laughs> next week, Dwayne Cofill from the Horror Writers of Maine comes in to talk about their newest anthology, Northern Frights. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Northeast Comic Con, Booksandbooze.com, 
and ComicArtHouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you have a free moment, take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Our intro music was provided by Rob Watts by these creations at robwattsonline.com. Our outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out their groups on lawrencemademecry.com. I want to thank George O'Connor, who's on the cusp of being a five-timer. And congratulations to George on Healed and the Philippine Film Festival and everything that he's done. It's been a, a collaboration. It's just wonderful. I want to thank the gang from the Peabody Time Tunnel, the sweetheart of the sun, Brianna, and the woman of Australia. Thank you so much, ladies. That's what she said. Back from the thunder so snow, thanks for all the fish, Java. Sword. This is Dome saying Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus to all repute entropy. Good night, everybody. I know.